Never gonna give, never gonna give, give you up. <laughs> Is that how that song goes? Was that a remix? Never gonna give, never gonna give. Yeah, just that moment. <laughs> so I had this nightmare this last week. I was looking out my window. Uh, and my it was my childhood window growing up, which always makes things a little spookier. And it was a seven foot long, seven foot long Ryan, floating, disembodied wig. <laughs> Straight, gray, white, and black hair, salt and pepper, seven feet of it, is floating through my backyard, or just outside the window, or whatever. Yeah, and um. I was terrified of it. It was going to cause me harm. And at one point, like a goat hoof appeared <laughs> and then was like covered in a t-shirt and disappeared. To and that was it. in your mind. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's... And I had fallen asleep to Arrested Development. The oh, Sally... that, that makes way more sense. <laughs> the Sally Sitwell episode. Yeah, sure. Sure. So in my dream, the, the name of the witch or the disembodied... Wig wig was sally sitwell and it was like sally sitwell is coming for you that kind of thing but like when i reflect upon what the possible symbolism might mean all i can think about is that you know it's it's me uh contending with the oncoming idea of uh the the stage of the crone you know like i'm about oh, sure. to i'm i'm i am Entering motherhood, and what comes next is a seven-foot-long, <laughs> dangerous wig. Like, it's just the most transparent dream of me struggling, I think, with the power of the aging woman. Sure. Which I am becoming. And is actually really thrilling, but in part is is scary, you know? So that, that would be my, like, maybe that's what that meant. Also, it could mean I ate cheese before I went to bed, <laughs> which is... <laughs> Which is Just like as likely. <laughs> I also had a moment. So we went to a meet the midwives session last uh -huh. night, um, where you get to you know meet the midwives, and there's like 15 of them, and they're just talking, and all different personalities, and it's so fun. And you're like, oh, I hope they're going to be there that day. Oh, I hope they're not going to be there that day. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> there's one arms. one that you know young woman who I'm sure is brilliant and totally capable, but every time she opened up her mouth. Like a fucking like nineteen eighties gem in the hologram cartoon from Saved by the Bell came flying out of her mouth. Like it just sound. I was just like, oh no, she's gonna be it. She's gonna be it. She's yeah. gonna be my fucking midwife, and I have to deal with that, and that's okay. I bring it up because a woman walked in and looked just like me, and I don't see doppelgangers of myself often, but like, just fucking like me. Nick even stopped, turned at me, and was like, "You see that, right?" And I was like, Jesus. And she I was like, one of the midwives? No, she oh, was okay. just like a pregnant chick there. And I was like, should I go talk to her? Can I just, should we? And Nick's like, no, this is weird. Uh, the only other time I've had that happen is my friend Callie. Huh. Do you know Callie? I've met her like once. You're so maybe just... at, when she, she was working at the desk at Sassy. Sassy. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So I probably met her at that party we had for, yeah. for you. So the real question is, dear listener, should you just introduce yourself to people you look like? <laughs> I say yes. One of the more intriguing questions that we've asked. I know. Audience. I certainly have my finger on the pulse of yoga <clears throat> with that one. 
Can I just say I am bouncing off the walls right now? I know you are. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. I had one. I, I didn't have coffee on... I didn't have coffee on Sunday, on Monday, or on Tuesday. Not purposefully. Like, I just didn't. And how did you feel? Fine. Wonderful. And, and then you had, like, a turbo... And then I had the cold brew from Union Square Donuts on my way here. Not because I was, like, tired and needing caffeine, but because I was just craving the cold brew. And now I'm, like, this was, mind you, at, like, it's what? It's almost 4 o'clock right now. This was at 11.30. And I'm still, like... Did you eat? I did. I had big breakfast at... I don't know. I'm just... Bouncing off the fucking walls. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have memories of you over the years saying shit happens to you in the summer. That I wonder if... Oh, yeah. like just Caffeine is pitta, the best like... idea for you. <laughs> Do you still go to an Ayurveda consultant on the regular? Not on the regular. There's a... Um, I really haven't had the money... For that, but I, there's a woman in Davis Square who does, like, Ayurvedic body work that if I had the cash, I would probably treat myself every once in a while to, to that, but. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> She's thinking. <laughs> She's thinking, folks. Yeah, I don't know. I go through phases with how I respond. To Ayurveda? Yes. Or the idea of it, or people... I mean, I, I think the idea of it, the general idea of it, makes a lot of sense. It's just that sometimes people apply it in... The application sometimes is... Fuzzy? Fuzzy. <laughs> okay. I, I think that's... That's my experience with it. Um, but I also know that there's, there is something. So the, the whole, there's like no quick fix for anything in Ayurveda. So like I sometimes catch myself when I'm skeptical is like, is that just me responding to the fact that like, it's not, it doesn't have the same, like supposed clarity. Like we don't really have clarity in allopathic medicine either. But people talk about it like there's clarity, right? Like, take this pill. So sometimes I'm, I just catch myself being like, are you being skeptical because... Because people don't necessarily find, like, immediate results? Because I think one of the things that Ayurveda, in my very limited study of it and only study of its application on me like I haven't really studied it necessarily where I'm looking at applying that to other people but just on yeah. me it it reinforces the idea of taking care of yourself like at, at the at the very heart of it that consistently the, yeah and and every time that I've ever and I know this is not everyone's experience at an Ayurvedic can consultant or doctor or whatever every time i've gone it has been like 
here are 10 things in order of like least invasive to like biggest change, like least invasive being like have a cup of hot water with lemon every morning. Most invasive being like cut all dairy, cut like all dairy, you know, and just a very thoughtful, like, okay, as much of this as you can do, but like start with the really simple stuff. Um, and I have to say that, like, I like that. I like that. Yeah, too. and I and I do have to say that there was a time when men were kind. Yes, uh, in grad school when I was like burnt the fuck out, um, and like had no appetite, like just zero appetite. Like, I would basically know it was time to eat when my blood sugar crashed. Like, I'd get pissy with somebody and then be like, oh. Oh, I bet you were fucking fun to be around. (laughs) Good God. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's blood sugar crashing. Like, and, and then would, would go eat, but I wouldn't feel like hungry. This is per so se. foreign to me. I just want to understand. <laughs> I want to. No, you don't. It's not a pleasant state to be in. No, but I want to be able to empathize, and I, I really don't have a good frame of reference yeah, for yeah. losing that. Um, and Compass. The... And I have to say that after one session with Kate O'Donnell, who's still in the area, um, she gave me a couple of things to do. Uh like just like three things like throughout the morning to just like try to jumpstart my belly basically. And within a couple of months, like I I had reverse things. Like I started feeling hungry separate from mood swing, you know, that and and so it um and whether that's just placebo effect i don't know but it certainly was uh a very interesting process to view it in that light I mean, the thing for me that was the only equivalent I have is um, I really appreciate Abhyanga. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think that would be the thing that I appreciated. Yeah, 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 but, you know, that for me was was pretty potent in terms of how it affected how I was experiencing my body. Do you want to just explain Abhyanga role? Yeah. Uh, self-massage with... Um, oils. Oftentimes the oil is supposed to be dosha specific or mm-hmm. um, or tri dosha or whatever, whatever season you're in. I mean, the truth of the matter is it doesn't have to be. It's, you know, as long as it's an oil that you wouldn't feel terrible about eating, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah. not filled with chemicals or whatever. You feel yeah. all right about shoving it in your mouth. You can feel great about putting it on your skin. Um, 
So I don't want to dive too deep down the what oil to use rabbit hole, but the act of consistently touching my body, yeah, my belly, my breasts, my back, my puss, and my crack. Yeah, no, I had to. I'm sorry. It was, it was already there. Um, but no, not, you, yeah. you know, for me, it was like, I just focused on the part of my body um, that historically I didn't have a relationship with. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm not, you know, like underneath my arms and, and places of my body that had experienced a lot of change through weight gain and weight loss and all those things. And I found it to be a practice that really, you know, the more I did it, the more I just, I just, uh, my body became more equalized. Mm -hmm. I saw parts of my body with, with a similar lens that I saw like my elbow, (laughs) like it just became less potent and imbued with meaning, which was very powerful to, to experience, I mean, not a hundred percent, but like a definite improvement. I think it's important for most of us, you know, when we're living in our heads so much, sure, you know, to like actually feel contact on your skin and yeah. place. It's easy to get radio silence mm-hmm. otherwise. So I always thought that that was a activity, a self-care activity, like you were saying. And I, I think the biggest takeaway for me in Ayurveda is, like you said, flexing the idea of daily self-care. Yeah. Whatever that manifests or looks like, that's valuable. The times I get weird about specifically Ayurveda is um, when I think about how it's very regional specific. And there's a lot of spices and foods that... Um, I'm sure good for most humans, but I, I wonder about like sure. kitchery. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I think it tastes good. You know, it's lovely. But like <sighs> these are the qualities of kitchery able to be duplicated in a local, thank you, locally yeah. sourced way. And I think they. Are. But but more than that, like in 2017 in New England, those bodies might need something different than bodies yeah. that are in a totally different climate and were born and raised in a different atmosphere. Like we, yeah. sometimes we just like honey, you know, having honey from local bees is supposed to be great, yeah. you know, because those are your bees. Yeah. So I just wonder what is the Ayurveda of local? Yeah. <laughs> what is your no, but local? There is, Kate, Kate does talk about that, that like eating, it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, to make sure that it's you're not like always going for the thing that is exoticized, yeah, Indian food, yeah, you know. But at the same time, it is you know a, a practice that comes from India, so there's you know it, it's hard to do that all together. You know, I just, I just, I suspect that because there is a little bit of a time capsulization yeah. of Ayurveda, that we're missing an opportunity for um, new and evolving applications of the techniques behind some yeah. of those regional specific recipes and ideas. Yeah. That if they were looked at through a modern lens, we might be like, actually, it makes more sense for these kind of grains to get exactly. used in this kind of... Yes. So that's the only place where I'm like... I No, I agree with that. That's fascinating to me. There, I, I don't know if I told you this, but uh, not the retreat I came back from in March, but the one I came back for from the two-week one that I did in like 2015. When I came back from that, I got really sick. I don't even know if you remember that, but I was like really down for the 
for the count for a while and had like all sorts of like weird oh wait i do remember this yes 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 yes, your belly um and so i went finally like got a and in that time was using my understanding of ayurveda to like mitigate the symptoms as best i could just based on on what i ate and i went into the gi doc and my mom was like just he's gonna tell you you need a colonoscopy don't do it like you don't need a colonoscopy like that's not going to tell them anything unless there's like really like these symptoms happening like there's no need but she was just like warning me that if i go to see a gi doc they're probably going to recommend some procedure just her being skeptical Mm -hmm. which i appreciate um and i went in and he like felt he like pushed around on all my organs in my belly and i described the symptoms to him and he was just like his first question was uh you know when was the last time you had did had a course of antibiotics and it had been like six months previous he's like oh okay so here's this sheet um and it's the uh fod map do you know it's i might be pronouncing that that wrong um but this Australian giant Australian study basically doing trying to understand what foods inflame and make sort of chronic digestive issues worse and what what are less what foods are less irritating just based on how the foods break down within our system and what uh, pro- byproducts chemically those foods produce. And it's basically done in like a red, yellow, green um, type of chart. So there's even like a phone app for it where it's like, you know, okay, these foods are green. You can eat as much of them as you want. These foods are yellow. Like if you go over X, Y, Z amount in, in one sitting, it's probably not so great for your stomach. And then these foods are like the red foods are like, no, don't give it a break. Give it a break. This is just too hard to digest when your system's already in, in, um, distress. Yes. Um, and I was looking at it and I was like, you know, this is the first page of like every Ayurvedic textbook that has, that I've ever looked at. Like it was, it was very clearly like, there were a few things that were different here and there, but like for the most part, you would have, come up with that from an Ayurvedic textbook, except that it was looking at foods that are more predominantly eaten in, in, um, the United States and Australia, you know, like it wasn't. Um, so that was really fascinating to me. The, The other fascinating thing about that experience was he was like, yeah, we don't really know what we're talking about when it comes to the gut. Like he was like, we're just figuring this stuff out. And, like, the tests that we could do are not approved by insurance yet, but they're getting pretty good, and eventually they will be. And we'll be able to tell you, like, exactly what what is missing from your biome and give you that specific single strain. That but, fucking uh, yeah. enzyme, that bacteria. Yeah. That, that is wild. It's so yeah. exciting that we live in a time where we still don't know that kind of stuff, and this yeah. all isn't automated by terrifying yeah. algorithms. Yeah. So... But what was interesting about that was that I had been I had been doing like basically doing 
everything that I had known from Ayurveda and I had been getting acupuncture treatments and then I just got impatient and decided I need to go to a GI doc. But the things that I was already doing, I just... Yeah, but devil's advocate, there there was a chance he could have said something very different. Sure, absolutely. After palpations, after looking at you, touching you, like... Yeah. He, that could have gone... That could have gone a completely different different route. But... So impatience... Because I don't want you to go down the, the creepy tunnel of anti-vaxxers. Oh, no. Like, precisely. And, and But the thing is, is there was nothing about my... There was nothing about my symptoms that was like... I was just being like hypochondriac. There was nothing about my symptoms that were so bad that I shouldn't just have kept going down... The road of... You just need a little more yogurt. A little yogurt. Because no. for your biome. No. Okay. Because dairy's not so great for me. Well, and they have di- di- What? I might They're be doing a little bit lactose intolerant, actually. I think I did, too. I'm real upset about it. Yeah. We only noticed it, and by we, I mean Nick, based on, you know, like, farting. He's like... Why do you fart when there when you have yeah, yeah, yeah. this snack? And then we he, he thinks I'm lactose intolerant, and I just don't want to talk about it because <laughs> I'm yeah, like giving yeah. up cheese. Giving up enough, Ryan. Why do you think you're lactose intolerant? Um, well, it's one of two things. Either I'm lactose becoming a little bit lactose intolerant just because it's there's family history of like late onset lactose intolerance. Um, uh, and maybe and, no one should be eating dairy. Yeah, and maybe nobody should be eating da- <laughs> that much dairy. But also, it could also just be a byproduct of um, my stomach still not being quite right after the ear infection and having to take the meds for like 10 days or something like that. So it could just be while my stomach is functioning well with most other foods, that dairy being a little bit harder to process, it's a little bit harder to process. We're just going to talk about digestion for the whole. <laughs> well, nothing's quite more exciting to me <laughs> than I just love cheese, and I I, I don't eat it much anymore. Yeah. I really don't because it's it's havoc yeah. on my system. But it's such a joy that it is, it is a joy. I have to a, say. And the thing that really breaks my heart about it is it's not a joy that I am good at having in small doses. No. So what I have to do is say, all right, today's the day. <laughs> and it's like, I can have a block, you know? Yep. It's so a fucked whole up. block of no. cheddar. And it usually has to coincide and makes the most sense when it coincides with a holiday because my brother's family, I'm always in charge of bringing sort of the cheese, cracker, salsa, hummus, crudite. Sure. Uh, meat honk. Fair. Pastiche. Is that the word? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> melange. Whatever. No. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> melange works. Uh, so I'm usually in charge of that, and I, I just go ape shit, cracker barrel wild on that crap. And um, and I eat it all. And my brother's always like, oh, save room for this beautiful meal I've made. And I'm like, don't you understand, brother? This is what I've been waiting for. It's religious for me. Um, but speaking of 
Speaking. I was like, we just spent the first 23 minutes of this podcast speaking about bodily functions. <laughs> Ayurveda. So, it's it's uh, related. Sure, that's, yeah, it's it makes absolutely total sense. related. Um, I don't know. You know, I, we've been talking now for three weeks in a row. We've touched on my experiences with the medical community. Yes. <laughs> so I feel like just to tidy up this, <laughs> to round it out, I, I want to end with, uh, I, I had my, my cavity filled yesterday. Oh, and um it went well great it was short drilling and i did everything in my power to like all the advice and all the the way i teach and approach teaching yoga like i just tried to use everything i know about calming the fuck down yeah (laughs) yeah it didn't work all that well but it worked enough um, but I bring it up because I've just been noticing like the last few days now creeping up on my ninth month of pregnancy that after having the conversations and with various medical professionals about eating and weight and pregnancy, um, and even conversations with my dentist and just feeling like nobody's on the same page and people have such strong ideas rooted in like a little bit of science <laughs> that not much just I've been <laughs> I, I was a little bit uprooted and taken out of yeah. sort of my intuitive eating mode you know I, I I had spent almost like the last year not worried about weight or diet like just eating healthy and not getting on the scale and like yeah, yeah. Staying pretty much the same fucking weight, which is all you can ask for, you know, yeah. like to just be at a place where you're eating when you're hungry and you feel good about yeah. stuff like that. And then to have that disrupted during pregnancy, with, you know, really has had a, a bigger effect on me than I think I thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm getting inspected now so frequently by strangers, you know, <laughs> essentially that are just like checking your blood pressure and checking your numbers and measuring your body and checking your weight and making sure, you know, like, like we're always on the lookout for something real bad to happen in pregnancy. Cause we are, that's what the medical community does with pregnancies. And thank God, cause it saves lives for some women and for other women, it just fucking throws them back 10 years into old shitty eating patterns. Like if that's the worst of it, that's the worst of it. But I am looking forward to, trying to right the ship again after this complete medicalization of my body. Yeah. Um, so it'll be fun to sort of watch what happens after when people care less about me and more about the, the baby, you know? Because yeah. it'll be more about measuring her and then, like, observing how they're judging her mm-hmm. growth and gain and, like, based on these... Yeah. Somewhat fucking arbitrary. And you know who the best, at the end of the day, the best people in the world are nurses. Older nurses are the best. I have an, I have, I'm very lucky. My godmother, my auntie Jan is a nurse and she did, she was in pediatrics for a while and I was telling her about my experience and, um, she's a pint of peanuts, you know, and I'm like pushing five, ten. Yeah. And she looks at me and she goes, Katie, if they can't see... That you're just a big woman? (laughs) 
that's on them. She's like, that baby's standing up in there. The baby is standing. <laughs> what is the problem? <laughs> like, you know, and like she just says things that yeah. make you laugh and realize like. Yeah. That's all. When you, when you said being inspected, I like totally that that kind of took me back a little bit like just imagine you in the red cloak (laughs) (laughs) i mean it couldn't have been better timing for that series i know (laughs) yeah but there is like a just a panic and an urgency around it that's very strange and that's why a lot of uh you know a lot of people and a lot of yogis especially are sort of in tune with like oh i'm gonna do the home birth i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna have a doula or i'm at least gonna do a midwife or i'm gonna go to a hospital that has low intervention rates like there's yeah you know we're in a community that is really supportive of that kind of thinking um but i always like to keep one foot in the community that's not yeah imagine what this process would be like if i didn't know the shit that i fucking happen to know Anyways, so uh, lots of good listening this week, podcast-wise. Lots of good reading of Mm -hmm. articles. Um, So it was exciting to listen to Jay's interview uh, with Justine from Down Under. Mm -hmm. That was such a good episode. I thought she was such a riot. I've never heard her, so it was really nice to actually, you know, hear a voice with with a name and she's very smart and very quick. I love, she's a fast talker. I love fast talkers. <laughs> and it was great because Jay was like, there were a couple of times Jay was like, was like interrupting her so he could get a point in, which I get, you know, he has to do, it has to be like, yeah. well, you know, cause otherwise she's the type of woman that'll steamroll a conversation much like I'm doing. <laughs> so I really respected her, um, her agency and aggressive and I'll call it aggressive without it being bad. It's not sure, bad. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, she's yeah. just a, she's an aggressive talker and I love it. I love aggressive talkers and women. Um, you know, so it was nice to hear sort of her perspective and she was really, really adamant about defending the non-compete. Mm-hmm. And I respected that too. Cause I thought, you know, I, it, it was leading up to, I thought that there was going to be like an aha kind of moment. And she was like, no, I'm not going to apologize. Yeah. So I really I respected the balls that it takes to say that. Yeah. You know, in the, in the face of that thinking, which, you know, you know, it's different, you know, city to city. Sure, sure. I mean, that, that's, that's the whole point. And I think the whole context and I'll put both the yoga journal article and the interview and the and the the podcast link in the in the notes. Um, but the whole thing was set up in such a weird way because it's such a complicated issue and no there's no like ultimate best practice for every studio to do because every studio is very different. Like not only in terms of like who's teaching there, but also in terms of like what the rent is, like what, like there, every studio has a unique set of needs, set of needs and dietary restrictions and dietary restrictions. And, and you just have to like, 
you just have to roll with with what you what you have with what your staff wants with what like and they're trying through many many years of trial and error to make their studio work um and to uh support the people who who work for them and that's you know uh and i do think that um I do think that there could be more dialogue among studio owners. I mean, the trouble is, like, most studio owners don't barely have time to do it. <laughs> things that they have to do on a weekly basis. Like, it's not like we're all, like, rolling in free, free time. But, so by dialogue, I don't give a flying crap about them sitting together, y'all sitting together in a room and talking. The kind of dialogue I care about is the kind that's starting to happen more of people speaking openly and publicly about what they're doing. That to me is yes, is, is an okay form of sure, initial start initial to dialogue. Initial starting, starting to dialogue. I actually, what, what I think... What I think is would be what I what I walked away from that interview thinking about was certainly it's very interesting to to dialogue with other studio owners about what they're doing business wise and marketing wise and and but it gets kind of weird because everyone has like weird I'm sure feels weird about stuff that could and could not be seen as proprietary and you know there, there's there you, you know i don't really think i'm in competition with anybody like i just don't think that way i mean you could frame it a different way and i could be like yeah i'm in competition with all of the other studios in somerville cambridge but i i don't think about it that way i never have i didn't really think about it that way at back bay either um, but what you, where was I going with that? Your takeaway. Oh, that I think would actually, what would actually be really interesting is more, less of a dialogue around the business and more of a dialogue just around practice. If we are collectively, there's a group of human beings and I would include within this group group of human beings the people who manage the day-to-day at the corporate studios, at the yoga works, at the core power, at the like I would include those people in that group. We are collectively running the spaces in which people practice. So the way that we think collectively about yoga practice is going to shape how the community practices yoga. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. That was one of the takeaways I had. I was a little bit disheartened when Jay and Justine turned their attention to Core Power and to Yoga Works. Yoga Works, obviously, because they teach there. And yeah. 
some of the things that were said about yoga works I didn't think were fair or true, mm-hmm. um, such as how many managers there are. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, defining what th- that is is interesting without actually being on the... It, the way I look at yoga works and core power is those two animals are very different from each other. Sure. And they're, yeah, they're, it's hard to compare the two. They're to super each, different. To each other. Yeah. Yeah. Yoga works is almost like this weird collection of independent yoga yeah. <laughs> studios that still operate very much like independent yoga studios, but for are clearly for, for better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. But are clearly owned by venture backed capital. Yeah. So it, it's like, it's a different animal to talk about. Whereas core power feels very much like a, a teachers brand. are a brand. Yeah. Teachers are dispensable. Yeah. You know, Justine's right. They're making 40, they're making, you know, they're charging a lot and they're not paying their teachers much. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, at Core Power, there's the people that work there love what the they're, yoga doing. they're doing. Yeah. And I got to tell you, and this is anecdotal, so take it with a grain of salt, but I have experienced students in my class that have come from Core Power um, and they considered themselves really new to the practice. And what I saw in front of me was really thoughtful practitioners with a strong sense of where their body was in time and space when they were in and out of shapes. Yeah. And I asked my friend who teaches at Core Power, I was like, she's like, oh, you know, one thing Core Power does really exceptionally well is uh, instruct some some of the quote unquote basics. Mm -hmm. And it blew my mind open because I was like, huh. You know? Well, there is that context in which the level one... And I could be wrong about this. Is the yeah. same throughout. I don't. I don't know if there's like a place where you can play with the sequence. As no, a there's teacher. not. I don't think there is. But also for the teachers. Yeah. So the teachers they're cranking out aren't cranked out to be necessarily creative. Yeah. Or and, and I'm not saying that as a compliment. Obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. like they're not. But what they are equipped to do is to teach a very simple. Yep you know, arguably safe sequence that like they're able to effectively transmit. And so I do appreciate that when I have core power, you know, when I have people come from core power, um, there, there's a little bit of a physical foundation at least that is, that is valuable and interesting to, to work with. So I hate, you know, dismissing what the hell core power is doing because that there is value there. And the other thing I'm not crazy about is when we talk about yoga being deep and so much deeper at certain studios, that that was a, a word that I, be, I believe Justine said that, that I found a little bit sticky. And that was really the only moment where I was like, hey, what <laughs> is down under the only place doing deep study of serious yoga? Yeah. Well, I mean... I've been to studios all over Boston that are doing deep, serious, diverse exploration of the practice, you know? And I'm sure that for some that's happening at Core Power, too. It's certainly happening amongst my peers at Yoga Works and Mm. amongst the students there are hungry for, um, you know, a a quote-unquote deeper approach. But deep has just become this, this cloaked way of saying something that I think is actually borders on being a little bit um intellectually classist Mm -hmm. and that's where i get 
that's where my feathers get in a little bit of a ruffle because I believe that there is certainly intellectual engagement happening at Down Under. I mean, the teachers are wonderful there. And uh, oftentimes, you know, the workshops that they're offering are great and the trainings are great. But that doesn't mean that that doesn't happen at other places. Like, mm-hmm. Samara is one of my favorite studios and I've taken so many workshops there and Bow Street and I think about all that I've learned from all of the incredible talent that's come through Yoga Works over the last decade like to say that some studios aren't deep is um defensive you know and she did such a nice job of not of saying hey everybody do your own thing this is what we're doing. It works for us. You guys do what works for you. But then there was just that moment of, and what we're doing is deep and what you're doing is shallow. <laughs> and I get it with the clothes thing. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Totally. I, be, I, totally I, with you. Yeah. You, you walk in and you're like, here, buy this hundred dollar thing on your way to not caring about hundred dollar things in the back yeah, room. You know, I, that, I get that. I feel yeah, that. But that. in terms of programming and quality of instruction, yeah, that is not unique to any one studio. But that's the kind of dialogue that's exciting to me was her willingness to yeah. to talk openly in a big platform like that. And I wish I wish more teachers would do that. I wish more studio owners would do that. I don't Yeah. Because I think it's the responsibility of people, quote unquote, sitting in the seat of a teacher is to be able to articulate what and why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. And maybe we'll stop start having the studio owners on the. We should. Do you think people would come? Justine would come on. Justine would come and talk to us. Um, well, now that I'm saying it, I'm sure. <laughs> Justine, would you come talk to us? That would be neat. Yeah, we'll make that happen. And what's interesting is like, how could we get somebody from Core Power that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I have I, friends I, who teach at Core Power. I can. Yeah, like I, let's I, get. Yeah. Let's get some people from all kinds of, like, there's, you know, and there's so many teachers that are brilliant teachers that are teaching at, like, gyms. Yeah. You know, exclusively at gyms, and they're doing, they're doing beautiful and important work. Yeah. I'm not saying all of them, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just all of them anywhere. It's never an all everything, but, like, yeah, I, I like that idea, Ryan. Let's do that. Um, did you read the Carol Horton? I did. Article. And what did you think? Well, first of all, we have to share that link so that people know what the yes, hell we're talking uh, about. Uh, yeah. So read and listen to all of the things <laughs> before listening to the podcast. Anyways, um, I we're giving so much homework to people. It's just... Fly to the shuttle. Um, so the title was, is, uh, Yoga Beyond the B.S., um, and I totally, uh, feel the sort of, um, fatigue that she's talking about in the article about all of these artic- articles and things that come up on the newsfeed about, you know, uh, criticizing what's going on in the yoga culture. Um, I totally uh, feel that fatigue 
myself a lot of the time. Um, in fact, that fatigue, I feel like, is 99% of the things that generate the content for, <laughs> for, <laughs> for this podcast, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, what I think is sometimes missing from that, which which I, I think she, she put... Which I think she put really uh, wonderfully and simply is that um, you can because she herself is a critic like that's that's the frame in which she she's thinking and writing critically about yoga culture that's what she does so for her to say you know what I really love yoga <laughs> I really like I, I feel shitty if I don't practice regularly and that's okay. Like the criticism has to be. No, fuck that. I no. I'm now I'm angry. Everybody read this article because I, I, maybe I'm just hormonal. That was the sub. That was like the last thing she said in the article was like, at the end of the day, I just love yoga. And I think that that is an absolutely cowardly way to end an article wherein you say, you know what, guys, I've heard enough of your bitching. That's not, I know, that's not. That's how I read it. I read it as like criticism fatigue, which we all have. I have times where I'm like, there's, there's, I, I have been, I have been bitching about the same things in this community for a long time and I'm tired of it. Like I have, absolutely I have those moments. But when I have those moments and I reflect on it, it's because of um, burnout or I've been looking at the same thing for too long and I need to step back and look at a larger picture. But I think it's absolutely and historically, (laughs) in order to achieve change, you have to stay the course. And it, to me, felt like she was like, you know what? Peace. I didn't get that at all. I didn't get that at all. But that's also because I know I've read the stuff that she writes for a long time. And it is, in fact, like, I don't think for one minute that she's going to stop thinking critically about the yoga community. And stop writing about it. I just think... There's a, there's a difference between, and we walk this line very, very haphazardly. <laughs> I was going to say carefully, but no, it's quite haphazard. <laughs> um, between just bitching and thinking critically. I think bitching is the predecessor to thinking criti- critically. Honestly, it's the identification of an irritant or an inflammation that you then are able to cultivate a greater understanding of, but it has to start with bitching. And that's why I get upset with her because part of me is like, Oh, Oh, are you pulling that thing that people do on Facebook where they're like, Hey guys, if you need to reach me, here's my email. (laughs) I know my real friends will reach me this way. It's sort of like a, okay, I'm glad you, I'm thank you for sharing that. But like, I guess the rest of us are going to continue to have this conversation and you'll come back in when you're ready and that's okay. But like, I, I I really, 
loathe when people step away and then make it a virtue. Like, step away for self-care, that's fine. But don't step away and be like, we should all kind of step away because we're all bitching too much. No, a lot of us are doing some work here. And progress is gaming. I'm going to have to read this over again because I just didn't read it with the tone that you're... Yeah, that was that was the under it, and it, for me that was just the underbelly of everything she was saying is, hey, hey, let's go back to the and it, you know for me it harkened back to Jay's magic moment. Do you remember that beautiful yes. podcast where he was like, and I just had to remember my magic, the magic, and that to me was a more useful sentiment of like whenever you're feeling really shitty, when you're feeling really down on yoga, on these conversations, on the work that we're doing collectively. Yeah. Whenever you feel down on that, just remember the the little nugget of magic. But I never felt that he was saying, and then just sort of walk away. Whereas with yeah. her, I felt like she was like, fuck y'all, I'm leaving. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I just didn't read it with that. And can I jump jump back to something you just said? Yeah, let's hear it. The work that we're... Are we doing work collectively? I do think so. Subconsciously or otherwise, yes. Okay. I, I believe, question that sometimes. I believe all of this. Every time somebody claps their wings, Tinkerbell experiences an <laughs> orgasm. Whatever. <laughs> I, I don't believe that it's necessarily organized or intentionally orchestrated. But I believe when so many of us uh, are making so much noise and bitching about so many things, that that on some level is work. Yeah. And it's collective work. And it's stuff we're all struggling with. Look at the time that we live in. Like, look. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, the last year and a half has been batshit crazy. And it's been a lot of noise making. Yeah. But I think it's because people are gathering around wounds in hopes of bringing fresh blood to heal some shit or to fix or to improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really optimistic for me to say. But I believe this kind of noise is part of that work. And the noise she's referring to is is the din of bitching and moaning. Mm-hmm. Take a break if you need to take a break from the bitching and moaning. I get it. I hear you. But to put down... That is to put down human history. Because human history is revolved around people gathering and bitching and moaning and ruminating and circumventing and perseverating over and over and over again until there's a fucking breakthrough and new standards are created. That's just part of the eddying vortex of ideas and change. Mm-hmm. Separate from the article, though. I do think that there are people on the internet, on, on Facebook, on who are contributing to what you're talking about. But I do see plenty of stuff where I'm like, that's just not helpful. And that's okay, because it's okay to fail. And those little micro failures are important. Even when it's in like... I don't know, I can't think of a good example right now. Like... I 
like I go back and forth because like the call for sort of one-on-one in-person dialogue is something that I am absolutely 100% for at all times. And I think there are a lot of the dialogues that are happening through Facebook, through blogs, through whatever content about yoga is floating around on the internet um, is not equipped for these little digital replies like dialogue that occurs through the Facebook comment section I don't really see as useful okay here's why it is example uh, Sarah our friend Sipo oh sure um, texted me the other day about an interaction Sarah I'm I'll try to mask some of what I'm talking about because I didn't ask your permission to talk about this. But she told me she's in a group on Facebook and the moderator of that group um, made a choice to turn off a discussion that they thought was not in line with the mission of the group. And, uh, you know, there was great gnashing of teeth and Sarah wrote a really eloquent, hey, that was a failure on your part. That, Mm -hmm. That... conversation that we were having mattered and it came back online and there was an apology and the group evolved because of it so i bring it up because not every spitter spatter dramatic moment like that that happens in a facebook chain is going to be seismic or tectonic in its Mm -hmm. effect it can and does open the door for education and evolution at times just like it does like when we're in when we're in groups of people like i could walk away from a discussion with someone i don't agree with and be like i still don't fucking agree with them i got nothing out of that you know like there's just as much of that that happens in person too we just lie about it better because we're in person You know what the difference is? When we're talking about a Facebook group, we're talking about a limited community. So it's smaller. It's not necessarily open to a huge amount of people. So there is sort of more of a sense of accountability to the people in the group. Sure. Well, there's also then an element of... The thing that I was coming around to was something about the element of trust. Like... Certainly there are ways to utilize the technology we have to engage in these dialogues in a way that we don't necessarily have to be one-on-one in person with each other. Because people are busy and hustling and trying to live their lives and 
make it work. But there has to be, there has to be an element of trust. There has to be an element of like, I am a flawed human being. You're a flawed human being. We're going to have a discussion and we might disagree because of this, that, or the other thing. But oftentimes, and you know, maybe this, maybe this is not the, this is irrelevant on a, on a, a discussion of digital versus person-to-person interaction because if that trust isn't there to some extent like the dialogue isn't really going to be fruitful especially when it comes to something like well when it comes to anything anything that we care about I don't think that online interactions replace one-on-one or in-person interactions. I just don't think they're invaluable. They're without value. No, and I don't. I don't think they're without value either. I just. I don't know. I just uh, I just value highly the direct interaction. So like if I saw something that someone posted on Facebook and I wanted to talk about it with them and I cared enough to it's like, do I care enough to have a conversation with that that person one-on-one, either digitally or via text or in person or on the phone? Yes. And think about how many great works of art would be lost if those artists responded in person rather than a vehicle or medium of their choosing. <laughs> so oh, I, I see what you're saying. Okay. You know, like, I think as human beings, we are always in response to uh, a fictitious or projected dialogue between us and other. Sure. Or sometimes even between, like, us and other as individual. Like, this is just what we have done as a species. And um, so much beautiful work has has come out of it in the form of paintings and rap songs and Mm -hmm. books and poems uh, you know, and music and through debate through other mediums. So I would hate for all issue to be mediated in private. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I, I just feel like Since that seems to happen less and less, I think it would be good to just I don't know. I think it would be good to just 
step on that that gas pedal a little bit harder. Which gas pedal? The like, hey, let's go talk about this. Let's have a conversation. Yeah, it just depends on what's at stake. Or what's perceived to be at stake. Yeah. So like when I disagree with you on shit, of course I'm gonna I'm gonna have a dialogue. Like yeah. you right, let's go get a cup of coffee and figure this yeah. out. But my bandwidth and interest for doing that with hundred and fifty thousand people that I disagree with is limited. That doesn't mean I shouldn't participate in the discussion. Sure. And the ways you can participate in the discussion are right now for most folks for accessibility issues through social media for these these kind of like blip moment posts so i'm most interested in how can we effective how can we more effectively and kindly utilize that as an avenue for actual exchange that encourages trust and i think the yoga community online is better than other communities <laughs> like for example you know you can see really heated shit in in yoga movement and anatomy groups you know like you can see it's yeah. it's out there yet there is still there is still a little bit more for the most part uh kindness than there would be say uh you know when your aunt tilly who you haven't spoken to in 30 years all of a sudden starts posting some really like horrific racist shit online <laughs> and then all her friends are seeing your posts and you know you, you know what i mean yeah. there's stuff that othering can happen Without the confines of a community? Yeah. I don't know. We got off track. Read the Carol Horton thing. Let me, let me know if you saw any subtext in there. Maybe there wasn't. Maybe I just... Maybe you're just not months pregnant. <laughs> no, well, I, I'm certainly that. But there's certainly... there, Intended or otherwise, there was just a small element of it that I was responding to. Imperfect effort is better than none. Ryan's just being contrary. How can you disagree with that? How can anybody disagree with what I just said? Imperfect effort is better than none. Unless your intention is just to, like, bash people. That's effort. And it's certainly imperfect. Okay, so let me, let me finish the effort thought. Effort towards good. Effort towards progress. Fill in the blank with something yeah, that yeah, we yeah. can agree is a positive. Yeah. Towards dialogue. If you think dialogue is the positive, then yes. I'm certainly not saying <laughs> towards violence, sure, you know, or destruction, or cruelty. But, but here's here's the problem when that I that I come across when like what's really interesting to me is when when you engage in a dialogue with someone who is 
in to some degree passionate about yoga, whether they're a teacher or whether they're just a longtime student or whatever the case may be. People can be very passionate yoga practitioners, but hold very different views on what the practice is doing for them. For some, it's this method, it's this frame that they are going to stick to and and be devoted to, and um, they see just within that frame. And so, to have a dialogue between myself and someone like that is going to come with some challenges. And it might start off by like, well, why do you place your feet that way for, I don't know, Virabhadrasana 1. But most of the time when I try to have that dialogue, it pairs back down to a fundamental Maybe not disagreement on what the practice of yoga is, but pretty soon after that in the hierarchy, there's some disagreement on either what the point of practicing asana is or what the... And so... I don't... It's hard to locate sometimes on what level the dialogue is happening. And and that that is what gets frustrating to me online because I feel like online it's even harder to have a discussion of like, okay, we're talking about this thing that we've identified with four letters. <laughs> yeah. And your history, your your uh the your present circumstances, your influences, your just overall identity is going to inform your attitude towards the yoga practice and towards how you practice and and what the sort of um, intention and, and, and definition of what you are practicing. And it's totally cool to have a dialogue with someone who has just a completely different definition of what yoga is. But a lot of times I find myself being like, okay, well, we, we got to arguing about an asana is pointless. Like let's without a let, mutual let's understanding, figure of... out like, what is it that you are practicing? Why is it that you are practicing? Who taught you how to practice? Like, to actually have a broader discussion um, and to try and, and to, to genuinely try to understand. Because it's not like I can rewind and go be a devoted Ashangi. Like, there's no way that I can do that. There's no way I can rewind and be like a hardcore Iyengar practitioner. There's just no way to do that because I will have carry with me all of my experience of yoga that I've had prior to that. 
So, but those conversations require, are really like amazing and fruitful and like, uh, invigorating but they just take a lot of time and you gotta like care about someone enough to have that conversation and so sometimes I feel like in the meantime people are just gonna argue about Vera Vajrasana 1 I don't know. I, I give people more credit, I guess, than you do. And I've seen more people giving inches to each other on those kind of debates over time. At least I have through the exchanges of article writing and through the exchanges of book writing. Um, I'm talking less about like in a heated Facebook debate sure, on something, sure. you know, but I, I, I think as more thought leaders are willing to open up and share their shifts in, um, how they cue and how they think about shapes, you know, and how they diverge from their lineage. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like I am seeing people make those motions and as they do, others follow, you know, I don't, to your point, I don't think it happens super often from people on the same quote unquote playing field on Facebook. It often more happens top down. Which is not something that I necessarily agree with. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. like, people are more willing to say, oh, maybe I won't use that cue when they've heard enough people that have been teaching longer than them say it over and over again. Yeah. But, like, even that, even the discussion about cueing. Practice. I mean, cue, yeah. practice, whatever. Like, yeah. how you're positioning your body. Sure, sure. I, I just... I just feel like there is a there's been so much discussion over the years about the and there should continue to be discussion over years to come about anatomy and biomechanics and and tradition and and history and you know um but There's not a lot of discussion about what the ground of the practice is. Like, what the ground... Like, what what are we... Because there's about 30,000 different grounds. Well, that's fine. But we identify the ground oftentimes by looking at the method. Like, the specifics of the method. Huh. I don't know. I tend to veer towards the specific of the person. Like when I'm thinking about where someone's coming from, I tend to think about a histrionic, sure. graphical but, but approach. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? That, that, and that's absolutely part of it. But I'm but, awful and I do the same thing with like artists and like yeah. books I'm reading. But but I, I don't think, look at the tradition, I look at the Well, I don't I don't think that makes you awful. I just think Every time that I go to 
contemplate what is it that I'm actually practicing, the answer shifts. And because I've only been practicing for, oh God, 14 years, it will continue to shift. I don't expect my understanding of yoga to be stabilized. You know, I, I feel like I barely have my feet under me. And so I want to be continually re-examining, okay, well, what is it, what the fuck am I actually doing? Which is hard in the face of the pressures to market and, and program and, you know, do all of the things that are asked because sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to be thinking in six months. Like, I really don't. Like, I might completely change my mind on everything. But that's part of it, too. I mean, my understanding of... Understanding is that we value that, and it's, it's, it's a thing above it, which is being okay with the motive and the meaning and the mode all being uh, in shift... I don't, I don't know that that's a shared view. Uh, well, I agree with you on that. It's certainly it, not. It, but... Yeah, okay. okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, I assumed. Yeah, I, I don't know that that's a shared view. I guess I just think of attachment. And that to me is... And I think of habits and samskara and attachment. And those are the things that for me override everything else and yoga as long as i can practice it without attachment and questioning my grooves yeah questioning my patterns of course my relationship and my base yeah. and how it serves me and i serve it will evolve minute to minute and i've been practicing a lot less than you you know yeah. like for a lot for a shorter period of time So I haven't had time to self-flagellate in the way that you have. <laughs> Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> a little, yeah. I do. I don't know that you'll see it this way. And I, and I don't mean it as an insult to you. Mm -hmm. But I think that... Like, everything you were describing to me is... Uh, fucking yoga. You know, all of that. And, and but, but it's interesting. You seem to only get uneasy with it when you're like, well, how do I market it? If I don't know what it's going to look like for me in six fucking months. Well, uh, it's not so much because I can, I can just be honest about things being in process for me. So it's not so much, but certainly it would be perhaps a lot easier if I <laughs> be like, this is the way that oh. it is done. <laughs> like. You know, and I feel like even I, I know a lot of teachers who I have encountered a lot of teachers who even when there's they do change their mind, it's like, okay, now this is the right way. Six months later, no, 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 I was wrong. Now this is the right way. And it's gotcha. like, yeah. if we could, if there could just be an acknowledgement of like, 
I am describing practice to you. And if at no point I try to ask what your experience of my description is, now that might not happen in every class, but like, then like that feedback is really essential because I need to know, or not I need to know, I want to know how people are feeling as they are being led through my description of practice. And my description of moving the joints around is really just, and engaging the muscles and breathing, in some ways is really just shorthand for a lot of other stuff. So it's and 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 you know this this is part of this was always the struggle when I worked at other studios is it was like you know well it's not really vinyasa it's not really this and it's not really that I was like yeah it's not I know enough about those other things. If you want me to like slip that in there, I'm ha- pull I'm, that out I'm, of my I'm, I can pull yeah. it out of my hat. Like it's, I can lead a mean primary series. <laughs> um, but I, I, I just here's the thing: is I don't think. There are exceptions to this, but I don't think the majority of things that I see digitally support what I'm moving towards. Yeah, okay, I hear you. Yeah, that makes sense. I think... um, not Maybe not support, but are congruent with what I... The direction that I see myself heading in this moment at uh, 5.06 on a uh, Wednesday afternoon on... July 19th. (laughs) I, uh, I agree with that. I do. And I think what the assumption I made was that the whole or the method somebody is looking at yoga through, uh, I assume that most of those practitioners are not so blindly dedicated to it that they don't all uh, they don't they're not aware that they're looking through you know like a lens yeah and that's the lens they're choosing to experience their practice with for now sure um but you you know the the truth of the matter is i think that you're right there are a lot of people that are like no 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 there's an an adherence to this yeah but and even if it's not the i'm sure there are people out there that are adherent to I don't know the core power seat. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it's not just always... like art, man. It's like art. It's think about this. I'll always bring it back. No, I'm a jazz musician, man. Nope, this is the type of jazz musician yeah. I am. This is how I operate my instrument, and this is how I will always. Nope, I'm a ballerina, and this is the type of ballerina I am, and this is the mode I will operate in. Yeah, Patrick. You know, like <laughs> you know, you just He's think not about like that, though. no, no, no. Of course not. But like you know, the idea though that like this is 
wholly applicable to how people walk through life. Sure. Hey, is there a path somebody else invented that I respect, admire, and take value from? I'm going to follow the fuck out of it. And I think for me personally, I've operated in my life with such distrust of any sort of, you know, not disrespect, but distrust of following it in perpetuity, whether that be like a, a form of writing or poetry or grammar, even like that it has left me free to yeah to approach everything else with <clears throat> man, well this is what's working now and uh, yeah. the things that remain valuable to me will remain in my life and as they are not they will evolve and shed yeah I don't know this has been a really productive episode now you're gonna hate it you hate it don't you <laughs> No, no, no. Middle of the road. Middle of the road. Middle of um, the road? What? <laughs> you just don't want right. to agree with anything. Let's, let's you and I trundle back to our respective failing studios <laughs> as one lone beacon of hope rises from the ashes of the Boston yoga scene. Yes. Do you like me ending on that shitty note? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> but I'm going to leave it in anyway. <laughs> Oh, she's kicking. I'm going to have cheese tonight. Um, If you made it this far, thank you. Uh, we haven't had a review in a while. I'd love an email. Although I hear someone sent one. Ryan just didn't forward it to me. It's um, Alice in Berlin. I want to read it. Anyways, uh, we're here. We're listening. Tell us stuff. Um, and if you have it in your heart, a star is always appreciated. Preferably and, more than one. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yes. Please. <laughs> You know, and if if you want to share a buck or two, um, it helps us pay the hosting fees. And one of these days, we're going to have enough bucks together that Ryan's going to buy me a coffee. <laughs> it <was> very exciting. <laughs> oh! Bye! Oh, you weren't ready to end. I wasn't. Okay. Bye.